Hey, it's Drex from This Week Health Cyber and Risk Community, and I want to invite you to our next webinar. It's going to focus on what else? Defending health data. I'll be chatting with experts from Rubrik and Microsoft. Register right now at thisweekhealth.com slash rubric webinar. That's all one string, R-U-B-R-I-K webinar, thisweekhealth.com slash rubric webinar. See you online soon. Today on This Week Health. Everybody wants to know, have we hit bottom? Are we on the upswing? I think if there's a little that reticence of let's not invest while it's still going down and start thinking about what the new economy is going to look like this year as we hopefully come out. Will there be a really deep recession? Is the recession over? I think everybody's watching those numbers. Welcome to Newsday, a This Week Health newsroom show. My name is Bill Russell. I'm a former CIO for a 16 hospital system and creator of This Week Health, a set of channels dedicated to keeping health IT staff current and engaged. For five years now, we've been making podcasts to amplify great thinking to propel healthcare forward. Special thanks to our Newsday show partners for investing in our mission to develop the next generation of health leaders. Now, on to today's show. All right, it's Newsday, and today we are joined by David Ting, who is the, are you a co-founder or founder of TauSite? I'm the founder of TauSite. Founder, but you were the co-founder of Improvada, is that right? Okay. okay. I, I, I need to get that right. And, uh, and actually, really the technology leader behind what is going on at TauSite and, and the stuff at Improvada, you were part of that team as well. Welcome to the show. Appreciate it. Thank you. Good morning, Bill. It's a pleasure to talk to you this early in the morning. Yeah, yeah. Not, not many people choose this time slot for the for the interview, so I I appreciate it. Between you and Frank, Towsite is a company that starts working early in the morning. That's uh, that's one thing we can take from that. Sadly, we don't stop. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So tell me, this is your first time on the show, so give me a little rundown of of Towsite and what you guys are doing. So TestSite is focused on finding and helping providers understand where their e their EPHI is in a, in this distributed healthcare environment, not only on their file servers, their cloud shares, their email servers, but where it moves to, where it moves around inside of your organization in in this decentralized healthcare model that we have today. Yeah, and it's it's. I think one of the things that's interesting about that is the the environment keeps expanding. We have so many BAAs out there now, and that has been identified as a point of vulnerability for a lot of health systems. Is the BAAs? Absolutely. When you when you hand off that email, when you hand off those files, can they can they really secure it? Do you actually know it went out there, and can you account for all that? That that I think is the challenge in this new digital world of ours. Yeah. Well, a lot of challenges. So we're going to look at some news stories. It is the Tuesday after JP Morgan has finished. We're going to talk about JP Morgan a little bit. I usually go to the nonprofit track where the CFO and the CEO get up and talk about their financial results, give you sort of the lay of the land and then talk strategically about what they're going to do moving forward. I'm going to focus in on, on th really three of those, but I'm also going to talk about just overall. Overall, what I've read is essentially very few announcements. So usually JP Morgan is when the, the VCs come out and say, hey, this is what we're doing, as well as the companies come out and say, hey, we've raised more money and more rounds and that kind of stuff. 
that did it was really quiet on that front i mean there was a little bit of activity cvs was very active but mm-hmm. outside of that very little activity does that surprise you at all that that the vc the 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 deal making and the raises is down right now yeah, just talking to our vcs that are on our board things are quiet in the healthcare side they're all <laughs> reading all these large organizations are trying to figure out what the financials look like. So is, is it a wait and see kind of thing before they, they allocate their money out? Or is it, is it more, they're, they're waiting for opportunities at this point to emerge with this economy the way it is? Everybody wants to know, have we hit bottom? Are we on the upswing? I think that there's a little that reticence of, let's not invest while it's still going down and start thinking about what the new economy is gonna look like this year as we hopefully come out. Will there be a really deep recession? Is the recession over? I think everybody's watching those numbers. Yeah, hopefully they're not looking at healthcare providers because those those numbers were not good last year. And we knew they weren't good going into the JP Morgan conference. We had a couple of stories come out of this. One, the, the Ascension presentation, essentially $1.8 billion loss the prior years and, and a couple hundred million dollar loss in their first quarter because their quarter doesn't match up with the annual or with the calendar year. So they announced a major restructuring. Common Spirit also came into this and essentially said, look, we're limiting all expansion, except they were focusing in on two markets, I think. I think it was Arizona and uh, gosh, I don't remember what the other market was, but it's Essentially, I think what they looked at is their profitable markets and said, hey, we're going to continue expanding there. The other markets and projects, they said, look, we're, we're going to step back and slow down. They, they are seeing labor inflation start to recede a little bit. So they are, they're optimistic there. But you're talking about an organization that posted a $1.85 billion net loss across the 2022 fiscal year. And then I think the other one, the other one I'll comment on was Jefferson Health launched a re- reorg and reported layoffs. I don't know if this was at JPM that they announced this, but this is just a an article I read this morning. And they're also, they're looking at a loss, but really what they're looking at is they've acquired so many hospitals over the last three to three to five years that they're restructuring in a way that Providence did in order to just make sense, just make sense of the, of the thing. So a lot of challenges financially within health systems. I don't know if you want to comment on that, or if you just want to go at the technology side at, at this point. I think that's been an ongoing story. We, we talked to a lot of CIOs and they're all talking about the shrinking, the shrinking budget the rev, the top line numbers coming down, the losses, labor shortage, like you say, labor inflation, difficulty acquiring staff. Post pandemic, it's still, yeah. still suffering from it. I, I'll tell you, one of the, I, I commented on William Walters, his LinkedIn post this morning, and one of the things he he put out this post, and essentially what he was talking about was as a CIO for a health system. He gets a lot of emails, what keeps the CIO up at night and how can we help, right? And he said, here are the ways you can help. And one of the things he made note of is 
He said, it used to be, we can look at ROIs in the two to three year range. He said, now it's essentially 12 to 18 months, uh, 18 at the out at the long end and 12 months is what they're looking at. And that was reaffirmed in our webinar, like a week and a half ago with some CIOs, Intermountain, Sanford and, and uh, Baptist Jacksonville, they all came back and said the same thing. They said, look, it's 12 months or less, the project gets a green light, an ROI or a return of some kind. 12 to 24, you really have to make the case. 24 and above, we're just not even considering it at this point. So does that change the way, so your company, Taosite, does that change the way you go to market and think about those kinds of things? Oh, absolutely. I think I think any project that involves having to roll out stuff to prove out the value over that length of period is, is difficult. Everybody wants almost instant gratification. We, we, we like to see IT move the way we, we deal with mobile apps, roll it out, it's effective. You can measure it as a SaaS offering, you pick and choose, right? If you don't yeah. like it, if it doesn't pay out, it's gone. It, it's harsh out there. It, it is harsh. What, what kind of, so you talk to CIOs and I've been talking to some CIOs, what kind of projects in an economic downturn, fighting the things that we're fighting, labor shortage, labor inflation, those kind of things, what kind of projects are you seeing or do you think that health systems should really look at right now? Well, obviously cybersecurity is always going to be on the top of the, of the stack. No. Yeah, yeah. That's like table stakes, right? You, table you, stakes, but it's going to prove it's worth labor inflation for IT people with cyber skills, incredibly difficult. Everybody we talk to will say, I'm looking for so-and-so to come in and take over or a new project. There aren't enough skills personnel to manage all the tools that we have. So consolidation is a big one. How many tools do I need and how effective are they? And am I going to be losing staff to somebody who's a better providing organization that will just take away my skilled staff? Those are the things that we hear. We constantly hear that, oh, I'd love to get a project started, but I'm, I'm missing a person or I'm missing somebody to head that up. Yeah. It's probably the most prevalent one. Yeah. And that's, that's the one area I would be, that's the one area I'm concerned about right now is, is yes, we, we do have to address the clinical labor shortage that's going on and we do have, have to address the financial challenges, but people are on the move. People yeah. are moving jobs and you have to take care of your existing staff. And if you don't take care of your existing staff, you're going to have to get really good at finding people because there's, there's just going to be gaps. And they can, they can work anywhere. I mean, I, I see so many IT organizations that are virtual. They haven't gone back into their hospital for months. And so it's a, it's a very decentralized workforce that you're dealing with. Yeah. Do you think that will continue? I think as we move things and rely more on non-on-premises technology, you're going to end up with a help desk that will work on-prem. You're going to end up with people that will service the equipment on but your infrastructure, IT infrastructure, is just becoming more and more distributed and more, being more managed remotely. I mean, I hear it all the time. CIO is here, CISO is in a different city. The workforce is distributed with the exception of a handful of folks that go into the hospital. 
to service the endpoints. So I think that's going to be the reality. Yeah, I, th I think it is too. And I, I, I have spoken out of both sides of my mouth on this saying, I think we're, I think we're going to see a pull back into the office that is naturally going to happen. And, and I still believe that's going to happen in some markets with some health systems. But the problem with that is people might just go, you know what, I need to work from home now and I'm going to work from home and I'm going to find a different job. Increasingly, we hear that from a lot of organizations that we deal with, technology firms that will say, well, I'm having a really hard time getting our engineers, our develop, our testing folks to come back in, even though we offer them all kinds of perks. You can't mandate. One place I know that mandated went from five days, they're back to four days. Four days are kind of struggling with that. A lot of folks are threatening to resign. This this is a we're dealing with a new workforce that I think have gotten used to working remotely, even though I think it's much more difficult for somebody like from our generation that are used to having designs and, and meetings in person to to this one at a time kind of uh, communication channel. You guys are in product development, life cycles and that kind of stuff. Are, are you doing that remote or are you trying to get the team together? Because there's an awful lot of of magic that happens when the team is in a room, isn't there? Yes, there's definitely that magic. And uh, we've, we're fortunate that the majority of our folks are in this Northeast area. We, th we have a handful on the West Coast. But even getting the folks that are in this area together on a regular basis with offerings of free lunch, it, it, all the things that you can imagine to to get people in, uh, it's still a challenge. Well, you know what they taught us the first week in economics? So I, I was an economics major in college. You know what the first thing they taught us? There's no such thing as a free lunch. <laughs> they know that. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 they, Why are um, they giving us lunch? I don't even remember what the point was that the professor was making, but that he was everything has a cost. There's an opportunity cost. There's all that stuff. I, I think that is the point he was making. In 2023, we are celebrating five years at This Week Health, and we are working to give back, and we will be partnering this year with Alex's Lemonade Stand all year long. As you know, having a child with cancer is one of the most painful and difficult situations a family can face. At Alex's Lemonade Stand Foundation, they understand the personal side of the diagnosis, the resources needed, and the impact that funded research can have for better treatments and more cures. Today, Alex's Lemonade Stand is one of the leading funders of pediatric cancer research in the US and Canada, funding more than a thousand research projects and providing programs to families affected by childhood cancer. You can get more information about them at alexslemonade.org. So how are we going to partner? Well, the leadership team and myself personally, we have put some money aside to really fund the start of this. Uh, but what we're looking for is partners, right? So we're going to ask our partner, our partners, our sponsors to be a part of this. We're going to ask you to be a part of this. And some of the ways that you can help contribute is we're going to have drives throughout the year. We're going to have follower drives, followers of the show, followers of our LinkedIn channel, Twitter channel, YouTube channel, you name it. We're going to have these drives. And as part of those drives, we're going to ask people to be a part of putting donations towards 
Alex's Lemonade Stand. There's going to be many opportunities this year. So keep an eye out all year long to see how you can support Alex's Lemonade Stand. You can find more information out on our website, thisweekhealth.com. You can also check out Alex's Lemonade Stand again at alexslemonade.org. And if you go to our website, their logo is going to be on our homepage on the top right-hand corner. We're celebrating our five-year anniversary, and we want to continue to give back to the community. So we welcome you to be a part of it and looking forward to seeing what we can do this year. You've now initiated and created two successful products. I, I want to talk about, let's see, Lisa Soonan, who we've had on the show before, talks about the classic blunders in digitization of medical devices. And I will skip here to this because I, I want to get your thoughts on this. She says, here are the pertinent blunders that people make. Building the digital program to support the sale of the product for the benefit of the company rather than the support, the practice for the benefit of the physician and patient. Again, she's talking about medical devices, digitizing the information in medical devices. And then the second is thinking that digitization is a valuable thing in and of itself when the real value is in proving that having data makes a difference in cost and outcome. I'm curious, first of all, your thoughts on, on those two, what she calls blunders that people make. So oh, they, those are great comments. It's interesting to me. It, she goes on to talk about the reason that, that it will have to be medical device manufacturers and not wearables. And she said, some of the problems with wearables are, it's not always with you for starters. Mm -hmm. And the second is that uh, a wearable has a battery and the battery runs out and those kind of things. Whereas medical device manufacturers can implant things that have long running life cycles and they're constantly reporting. I, and I loved her analogy. She said, it would be like having all those devices in your car but it requires you to bring your phone or your laptop in in order to see them, to see what's going on. Right. I, I'd love to. I'd love to hear your comments as as they're developing, as these these medical devices are emerging, and as the wearables are emerging. How do they position themselves to add value to health and healthcare? This is a great point. Just because you can do something in a wearable or in a, in a miniature device, because of the technology curve that we're on. The cost of connecting things to other things, the, the ability to capture data is considerably easier than it used to be even 10 years ago. But that doesn't mean necessarily that is a good thing that every patient carries with them their entire telemetry in, on an ongoing basis of using a wearable. It may be useful for you to find out your heart rate. It may be useful to find out your sugar glu glucose level. But does your doctor really want all that data? Is it really meaningful? I've talked to lots of specialists in this area who, who will say, if I, if I get that data from the patient, then I'm responsible for doing something with it. And sometimes it's not that useful. I'd rather tr have a trusted device that I know is calibrated, is put on and used properly, and I can see a window of, of data when it's meaningful, as opposed to just this ongoing 24 by seven monitoring of your sleep, how deep a sleep, how much activity, is it really helping to improve the health of that patient? 
or to diagnose something. I think for the patient, it certainly is useful to say, gee, while I'm exercising, my, my exercise rate is at the level I want for the rest of the day. Do I really, is there a real, real benefit? I, I'm not the doctor, so I can't say, but just because you can have all this monitoring on the, on, on everything that goes on in your body does not necessarily mean it's going to improve your physician's ability to, to help you. Yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting. I, I love her point. The fact that just collecting that data doesn't help. I, I do like the fact that she, she points to, it's more like a car, it's an alert, right? Yeah. So you're monitoring something and you're giving somebody an alert to say, Hey, you should probably talk to your doctor or see your so doctor. Check engine lights on again. <laughs> yeah. Your check in, your personal check engine light on, right. which I, I, I've talked about for, for years that I, it's amazing to me how much technology has gone into a car and how little technology has gone into humans walking around. I think the value of collecting the, the, the telemetry over many, many years is we can then do things like put it into data science models and come back to them and say, look, the average person sleeps this, you're sleeping this, or the, or this is a healthy range and, mm -hmm. or, or that kind of stuff. I, I think there's, there's value in that, but I agree with you. The physician, the physicians do not want to see it unless it's relevant to them providing care to that patient. And they also, they, they can't handle the workload. I, I think that's really the correct case. I, I was giving my doctor, he, he said, just track these parameters around your, your weight, your blood pressures, your heart rate, give them to me on a weekly basis, but don't give them to me every day. I said, I can send it to you every morning if you want. And he goes, no, no, no. <laughs> But I think <laughs> that's where the real value of AI is. And I think AI has to help that doctor to say, yes, the check engine light is going on. It's gone on. And, and if you, so I have to monitor my car. I plug it in when the, the check engine light goes on. And I can see all the internal operations and, and how much data they keep. You almost have to get it to that state. But a car is a very different thing than a person in the sense that cars should roll out the assembly line fairly consistent. And, how much CO2 they're generating, what the spark timing looks like. We don't have the equivalent until you, like you say, you can aggregate enough historical data to customize those check engine light alerts. She said it's, it's really incumbent on the medical device manufacturers to do their own studies. Are we providing value? Are we improving care? Are we improving health? Not that the other studies won't go on, but th that that is what people are looking for. And that's what we need to <clears throat> deliver in that space. I wonder if that's something that could be applied across the board where we essentially say, look, every technology we look at, we know we're going to need an ROI now. I mean, it's just absolutely necessary. It used to be, we got by without them on some projects and whatnot, but almost all of them are going to need them. And we should be doing our studies as we move along. Do you think that's going to change our approach to going into health systems? Oh, I, I think that's been the case for a long time. You have to demonstrate like any other business, healthcare is like any other business. If you're going to acquire some technology, you better tell me what the return on investment is going to be or what the real cost is going to be as I operationalize it. And we hear it all the time. How do you help me consolidate? How do you help me simplify? How do you help me deal with the need to have fewer people? And, and we, as we talked about earlier, cybersecurity is really complex. So I don't 
most organizations can't hire enough people. So you have to basically say, well, in a cloud delivered service like this or that, we don't, you don't need to have the full FT. You don't need, we're generating those check engine alerts for you. So you don't have to be monitoring all the parameters all the time. I think that's the way IT is going to have to go. If we are able to take that responsibility away from the CIO so that they can really focus on efficient use of that data. Well, David, I'm looking forward to this. You're going to be on the show every six or seven weeks here. I'm going to store up some special stories for you because I think right. we, we could go... Um, go a lot of different dimensions. I mean, I, I think the, the whole ML AI technology is going to make a huge difference. I mean, we, we just look at the computing power that we have available to us in the cloud, on our on our phones, on our endpoints, on our wearable devices. I think there's another generation of just because you can get the data in digital form, it's still data, it's not insight. Insight's going to come from the ability to aggregate historical trends. And, and find those gaps. I mean, that that's where I think we're going to find real value in digitization. Here's the trendy question. Have you played around with chat GPT yet? No, not yet. It's scary. It's, <laughs> it, it is a little scary. It can be tricked. I, I've, I've started seeing some people try to trick it. Uh huh. It says what's, what's 4,000 plus 10, and it comes back with 4,010. And the person responds, I don't think that's correct. And then it comes back with another answer that's not 4,010. <laughs> Perhaps it's this. It's, 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 that's the challenge with AI models. We have to teach it and train it. And... We have to teach it to handle all the intent. The intent is hard. Yeah. So I, understanding I syntax, computers can understand syntax are starting to get better at understanding semantic. Understanding intent is even harder. Just yeah. because you're grammatically correct, just because you have the word spelling correct, doesn't mean you have the right intent. <laughs> yeah, clearly, clearly there's some people with some interesting intent that are playing around with chat GPT. Exactly. You have too much time on their hands. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it is an after David, all algorithm. David, thank you for your time. Really You're appreciate welcome. it and look forward to catching up again. Same here. Thank you, Bill. And that is the news. If I were a CIO today, I would definitely have every one of my team members listening to the shows like these. If you want to support the show, This Week Health, Tell someone about our channels. We have three, This Week Health Conference, This Week Health Newsroom, which is what you just listened to, and This Week Health Community. Check them out today. You can find them wherever you listen to podcasts, Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify. You get the picture. We are everywhere. And you can also subscribe to our newsletter as well. You can subscribe on our website, thisweekhealth.com. We want to thank our Newsday partners who invest in our mission to develop the next generation of health leaders. Thanks for listening. That's all for now.